Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast that is designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. And our goal today, like every podcast, is to share at least one proven practical business practice that will help you run a more sustainable and hopefully profitable business. We talk in our intro about the complex job of managing and leading people. We're trying to make that simple. And today's guest is all about simple. A couple of things I know about him. At his heart, he's a cheerful person. He is also somebody who is full of energy, but it's not always visible, but it's there. So it's kind of like the duck paddling on the pond. There's a lot of stuff going on underneath, but you don't necessarily see it. So he has a very calm demeanor. So his name is Chris Parker. He's with Ebullient. And Chris, it's really a pleasure to have you on. You and I have not had a chance to work together, but we've we've started dialogue. So I suspect it's only a question of time until we do. So welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. I am delighted to be here, and I have been accused in the past of having a uh, resting grumpy face, so (laughs) I uh, appreciate that and wear that proudly. (laughs) A resting grumpy face. I love that. (laughs) I better not let my family hear that because I've had some clients call me the lovable porcupine, so I think that's of the same ilk. Where is home for you originally? Originally, I was born in Los Angeles, so in that is actually not a common thing because the city of Los Angeles is not large. Right. And then I, I grew up really on the West Coast. So formidable years in Newport Beach in Orange County. So that's original, I guess, and University in Utah and now in, in the Netherlands and in, in Europe. Okay. So how did you get to the Netherlands? As we're recording this, that's where he is. And I'm obviously in Dublin, Ohio. So what took you to the Netherlands? Originally work. So I was, you know, hired by a Dutch software company and they sent me over to, well, the Netherlands. And and as a typical American, I had to figure out what a passport was and I had to figure out what the words Holland and Amsterdam and Dutch and Netherlands, what those all meant to each other, because I really had no clue before I got here. That was in the late 90s and uh, really just fell in love with the culture and, and the place and eventually fell in love with a lady. And now I'm married to a Dutch lady. And here we are. So is it the family that keeps you there or is there something about where you are that keeps you there? It's all of it. Raising a family, you've got two boys, 10 and 11, you know, raising them here in in the Dutch culture, which is very similar maybe to a West Coast, Southern Californian culture, you know, so, so I would use the word, you know, accepting, tolerating, open. Of course, every place can be called that, but, you know, for, for me, that just really resonates here. You know, education is wonderful. The, the the Netherlands is is very central for travel, at least before the Corona crisis. Right. You know, and my, and my work is always very international, and so having a jumping off point makes it very easy. The Dutch are naturally traders. You know, they've been all over the planet for for centuries, I guess. And so the cosmopolitan aspect of the, of the city of Amsterdam is beautiful in the history, as well as you know you go you know an hour out and you're in, in the middle of the forest or middle of a farmland. And it's, and it's, and it's just a marvelous place to exist. My wife and I spent a brief amount of time in Amsterdam last year and never have seen so many bikes in such a small area. The bike lots 
are hard to describe if you've if you've not seen them. But boy, I'll tell you, it's a it is a normal mode of transportation, is it not? It's a normal mode, and it's I think it's also a function of the population density because yeah. they're, they're just really packed in, and they and they actually have bike parking lots which are multi layer. Yes. And yes. A, a little uh, side note on that: the the I'm I'm involved as a mentor with a uh, an incubator with the city of Amsterdam, and the the project they're working on is actually reducing stress for bikers by finding ways using data to reroute bicycle traffic so people aren't becoming so irritated and maybe also drive them to you know areas that are more green so they have a whole team of people very smart people in the city trying to optimize bike traffic flow it's it's just amazing to watch i looked at your uh, linkedin background information and and if you go far enough down it says nordstrom associate and you were there for five years, which I find really interesting. So that was not just a stop-off point. There was there was some time spent there. So I'm curious about what got you to leave Nordstrom. There had to be some thinking going on there. Well, I think my perspective or worldview was really, you know, as all of us, really shaped, uh, you know, in my youth. Right. And it was even earlier than, you know, it was during that five years that I originally started as a stock boy at the uh, South Coast Plaza Nordstrom. Okay. Store 320. I still know it. People I met there, I, I'm still in touch with. And it was really a, a student role through the end of high school, through the first couple of years of, of, of junior college originally, and then just kept going up the ranks, you know, to sales associate. And then finally, I, I went to Utah, you know, to Utah State for, for college or university. The whole Nordstrom experience of working there was was absolutely delightful both my older brothers worked there is really you know sort of yeah. part of the family the, I'm, I'm sure they still have it but like the half year sales start the, the day after christmas and so my christmas eves for many years was getting ready in the store you know you know you know basically restocking the entire store at least our department ready for the half yearly sale and so it was really just part of my youth well, I, I would assume because you had made some progression there that there were times where they were talking to you about something more than sales associate. I, I'm assuming you could have a career there if you wanted to. Is that right or not? I'm I'm sure I could have. Well, I was still, you know, sort of pre-university and I was in university. So so it was and I was successful, you know, making the numbers and, and fitting in with the culture. Well, let me, let me back up because after university, if you go up a bit more on my LinkedIn, as I was doing sales as an account manager with GTE, General, you know, General Telephone, now right. merged, I think, with Verizon. And there I was doing sales as well, but more in a tech space. And what I, and I was making my numbers, you know, I was getting my little perks and things, but what I, that was really a, a pivotal point where what I realized I wasn't driven like a true hunting salesperson by, by the closing of the deal, that was fun. What was truly driving for me was, I guess, coming into our topic, you know, simplifying the problem to make a really elegant technical solution to solve the problem, which happened to, you know, result in a sale. And it was actually the decision to leave GTE in that sales role, which I, I jumped on with that Dutch software company because it Got was it. like, hey, you know, based on an accounting degree and some sales background, you know, this was just a natural progression. So you would be a wonderful individual to help me shop because you would make my shopping simple. You would help me get down to two or three things and not have too many things to choose from. So you would help me eliminate 99.9% .9 of it so I could make my decision. I get it. That's who you are. That's, that's all right. That, that tells me a lot about you. 
that's who I am. And I would, I would even ask you the question, why, why are you shopping? You know, can you simplify that? I mean, why don't you have a, a wardrobe system that you could just replenish it, you know, itself and, <laughs> and have a few simple, you know, interchangeable, you know, parts there. Yeah. You know, why, why even complicate it to the, unless you like going to the mall, of course. And then. No, I, it's a necessity. It is not a want. It is a need for me to shop. So yeah, I get it. I can see now why you were as successful as you were. So when you're at a party now, you're at a social event and somebody says, what do you do? How do you describe what you're doing today? Because it's an extension of that, isn't it? It's still simplifying. How do you describe your job and your role to others who don't have any knowledge about what you do? If you were to ask my wife, she still struggles with it. But the way I explain it very simply is I do three things. I do, I do technology executive roles, either on project or interim or permanent basis. So I've been a CIO of a a multinational, you know, financial services organization. I've been the CTO of a energy uh, retailer and energy software company. So there's okay. one big bucket is actually technology leadership. Okay. That's where I make my money typically. I also am a producer of independent feature films. And so we, uh, and that's maybe a whole other story, but we are simplifying the, the process of feature film production by using agile mindset and tooling. And so we actually have brought the the cost and risk of a full, you know, human narrative feature film down to under 50,000 euros. And, and wow. they're good. They're not great, but we're, we're getting better at that. And that's where I like to say I spend my money because going to the Cannes and Berlinale, the, the, the film festivals is, again, COVID is not helping them with that. But that is just so delightful to bring a product to market that way. And the third thing I do is coaching and mentoring. And as I mentioned with the city of Amsterdam, I, I, you know, sometimes volunteer or, you know, you get a a small compensation for being a mentor with these, these incubator programs. And that's really where I learn and give back. And so it's, it's technology executive work, film production and, and coaching and mentoring. So it sounds like you do two of these in order to support the third. Is that fair? Well, we do have commercial ambition with the like with the film projects. Right, you know, the, those are not uh, money making yet. I guess the red thread through all of it is is building, directing, supporting teams that are creating something new, oftentimes based on technology. And film production these days is basically technology. Yeah, so you're doing that regardless of which one of these sides of the triangle you're spending your time. That 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 is thematically what you're exactly. Doing. Yeah, I get that. So I know that you have started. In fact, I don't know how long you've been doing your podcast, but it's been a while. When did you start your podcast? It has not been that long. It's been, I want to say, March, March, April. Was that for branding purposes? Why did you start it? Or is it just a creative endeavor? Well, this starts to touch in on a, a tool and a method that I've been championing, which is really around simplicity and a simplicity scan and, and a simplicity sprint to use the scan. And I've been using that and developing that tool with a, with a ever growing community over the last couple of years. And what really inspired me was actually the Corona crisis where I felt this sort of innate desire to aid you know, even a small piece of humanity, the best I can. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I started the brand Ebullient, ebullient.com. That's not monetized yet because it's really just a, a connecting, sharing brand. And then the podcast is really part of that. Meaning if I can get entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial spirits on the podcast 
and have them share their story and their insights. And they're always fascinating and, and, and educational. And hopefully also maybe bring some business to those those individuals. Then it's a, that's a great service, not only to myself, because I learn and grow, but also to to the guests uh, on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, having a conversation with you because that's also scheduled. So <laughs> I can't wait to have that uh, conversation and flip the script here a bit. So it's it's really in, in, in the service of discovery and giving. For the benefit of the audience, one of the things that I know about Chris is his audience that he uh, serves in terms of the guests that he has is very wide. His guests are in all kinds of businesses, all kinds of interests. In fact, there was a gal you had on recently, I believe, that was involved with space in some way, shape, or form. Am I correct, Chris? I, I want to say uh, Italian gal that did something with outer space or technology. Does that ring in any bells with you or not? Yeah, absolutely. That was Veronica, and she is is actually based in Sweden, and she is a space entrepreneur. And so what she's doing is working supporting, you know, startups and organizations that are that are, you know, really pushing the boundaries on on access to space and democratization of space. I can't remember the name of the book, but she collaborated with some other people in a book like, you know, a beginner's guide to living on the moon or something like that. And it was just so fascinating that there's people, you know, working to simplify moon living or Mars living and it was it was just a such a, a, an, an expansive, you know, view of what the art of the possible. And it was, it was a delightful conversation with, with her about what she's working on. Let's get more specific now and get to who you are and what you do. Let's talk about the simplicity scan that you've developed. Talk to the audience a little bit about what it is and why you've created it and what it does for people who use it. Great. Well, the Simplicity Scan is a tool. It's it's similar to like the business model canvas, if, if people are maybe more familiar with that. It's a one-page artifact that has 15 areas that I consider to be really the simple components, the prime numbers of a business. And those are in, in four different domains. So there's the focus domain, the prepare, deliver, and growth domains. And the topics within the scan for focus, for example, are like purpose, customer, product, and journey, as in customer journey. It's freely available. So you go to ubuliant.com, you can just download that for free. And it has you know some, some triggering questions and also the, the simplicity scan filled out for ebullient, just to, to let you know how, you know, for, for a do-it-yourself user to, um, to really experience the thinking. I also have on the website what's currently called the five steps to simplicity that we're now in the, in the third version of, of creating that into really a structured simplicity sprint. And effectively, what a, what a business team can do, and that could be a management team or any other functional team, is use the scan as a tool to, to, to stimulate conversation and dialogue around where the individuals on the team either, like I, I like to call it, you know, violently agree or violently disagree. Because in both cases, you should you should have a periodic conversation about that. I Meaning, if, if we're all in violent agreement, are are we actually correct, and, and are the basis assumptions you know still you know withstanding the test of time? And what it does is, when you have those conversations, it it literally gets the team on the same page, and is triggering for decisions on on initiatives and projects and transformational changes. Ideally, when you go through that exercise an organization or a leadership team can actually decide what to stop doing that is not really, you know, 
in service for their aligned goal for the, the next period. And then come out as well as either reconfirming that, that, that the handful of changes that they want to make in that time are actually, you know, fit for purpose and, you know, based on the, on the, the resources available and the ambition available and, and, you know, having considered the risk across the bottom of the, of the canvas, the, the scan is, is mindset, risk, and then actions. And that those things together can create really that momentum for growth. The, the reason that I made it was actually self-protection because I found myself getting pulled into various initiatives that, and spent quite a bit of time and money only to find out, you know, later that, that we just fundamentally had different understandings of what we were trying to achieve. And we were on just different pages as a leadership team. And then, you know, those things ended with waste. So self-protection more when you were in these technology roles, is that where you were finding the need to, to have that clarity created? Or was it when you were coaching and mentoring others? Both. But the, the, what I was referring to was when I was in leadership roles. And a great story is I was part of the leadership team, founding team of a, of a company called Pretty Good Knowledge, which had a extremely noble purpose where two of the co-founders were ex-national security agency leaders. One of them, Bill Binney, William Binney, you know, has been profiled in, you know, The Good American as, as, right. a, as a, a movie noted by Snowden as an inspiration, as well as Kirk Wiebe, who, who was also a co-founder. And we brought these, these NSA whistleblowers together with some incredible data scientists, engineers, and security engineers, as well as some commercial people, uh, really to enable European governance and, and corporations to do bulk surveillance or massive data analytics in a way which is respective of privacy. Now, the what we've discovered later on was we were really not on the same page. I mean, right. uh, a lot of the people that were attracted by Bill and Kirk were really activist types. And then others, Marco and myself, were, you know, were, were very you know, corporate commercial types. And Bill and Kirk were very constitutionalist, very, very um, legal driven, you know, ethical driven types. And those that mix of, of culture just really just didn't gel because when we were trying to sell to banks, then, then part of our staff, you know, were, were just not on, on board with working with large banks. Right. And so it was it was through that kind of experience that you're like, well, wait, you know, if we could have used the, the, the template and actually in hindsight, I did use the scan, tried to use the scan multiple times and we were never able to complete it. Now, you know, have, having that experience a number, of, a number of years ago, I'm, I'm much more firm with myself that if I'm invited to join and contribute directly to an initiative, I must have this scan done. And, and it's not so much the paper, but it's the discussion done right. before I really jump in with two feet. And on the other side, the other the other sort of group you mentioned are, are is when people ask me for advice about their company, I I say, great, I, you know, I'd love to help. That's my nature. However, please answer these fifteen questions up front so I can orient better and understand better how to help you. And and that is actually a sort of a micro commitment that some people never come back. And for me, that's fine because if they you know if they want to you know just have a social activity and and, and talk and that's fine. But if you really want to get serious, then you know do a little bit of preparation. And so this is also a, a bit of a self-preservation for me. What I need to share with our audience is that I've always been a big fan of Strategizer's business model canvas because it provides a visual representation of where your assets go and what they're serving and the deal that you're making, if you will, with a customer, a consumer of your product or service. 
and what you have to deliver if they're going to have their needs met or fulfilled. So it's a, it's a powerful visual representation and the work that's required to be able to fill one of those out is work that needs to be done and should be done by every leadership team. But it's it's also hard to do. And what I love about the simplicity scan is it's more intuitive and frankly, I think leads to actionable things more quickly than the business model canvas. I don't, I wouldn't want to get rid of both. I, I would use both, but I feel like the simplicity scan really is the first step and gets you to a, a better place more quickly than you otherwise would. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it, even though I've not had a chance to deploy it many places so far, but I'm, I'm talking about it, Chris. So it's just so you know that. Well, I'm delighted that you say, see the connection there because uh, the business model canvas is, is an, a wonderful tool. And what I found was, you know, the center of the business model canvas is the value proposition. Not everyone can think abstractly like that on, on the, on the get go. And that's, that was one of the reasons to, to, to create the simplicity scan to say, well, can I just have, you know, simplify it down to just these little, little chunks to get you moving and, an excellent next step would be actually be to do the business model canvas yes. once you have gotten gained some alignment. Yes. And I also added in some things that were, I thought, notably missing, like like the overall mindset or culture, as well as, you know, fundamental risks and then tease for action. Th- those were things that I thought would really just get things moving. And the reason I called it, it used to be, the you know, have a different name, but the simplicity scan name I like the, the scan because it's sort of a noun and a verb, I guess, because the scan is really an action. And, and my advice to people is, is to use the simplicity scan on a quarterly or a half yearly basis as an ongoing alignment tool. Yeah. The other thing I like is you use it as a uh, ante to be in the game. If, if I can't do one of these is the way you're approaching it. If I can't do one of these for an engagement you're part of, that's a real warning. That's a real indicator that this is not going to be a highly productive engagement for all parties. And and so knowing that in advance and knowing that's a criteria that needs to be addressed is is really uh, liberating. It provides a lot of freedom to be able to know where to go and, and where to spend your time and money and effort. So I love that. I do have one question. Let's assume that somebody does, you know, you're, you have an engagement and, and you get a chance to do the scan and you feel like, okay, we've got that. Is there any predictor of success after that? Is there anything that tells you that, yeah, this has got legs and, and we can get to where we want to go? I guess the question really is, if, if you can complete the scan, does that mean success is, is there for the taking? No, and it is a wonderful and challenging question, and, and it really depends on the context of the team going through the scan. Meaning, if it's a startup, and, and, a st- and, and the definition of startup could be, you know, they do not have a scalable proposition yet, then the, in principle, that scan would be incomplete in a way. But right. what I challenge with startup is actually to really, li- really discreetly list the assumptions in the one of the 15 domains that they are setting out to prove because if they're not able to you know approve that you know describe the hypothesis or assumption that they're working to validate in order to achieve a you know scalable business model then that will be very wasteful right and with a startup again iterate you know on a quarterly basis or shorter just come and check back with a scan um the uh, what I look for as a, as a predictor of success is the, the, the nature of the dialogue amongst the team. 
And so when I'm involved with, you know, actually doing this and working with people with the scan, the biggest predictor of success I have is, is there a space, a psychological safety is something that, you know, that's often, you know, is a term for this, a space for people to actively contribute, maybe differing thought, and then are they actually able to have grown-up adult conversations about that and then make a decision and then collectively stick to that decision? I, I think it's the sort of dialogue dimension around the scan that that for me is a, is a bigger predictor than in fact the actual you know words on the paper yeah which which is why i really suggest that when people you know management team or business team is, is using the scan to have some sort of facilitator or business coach or, or or someone near them who can observe and 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 be that sort of mirroring partner in order to keep things sort of ongoing it's not really necessary but it can be helpful for for someone who's not in the business, but, you know, near the business to, you know, pull out some of these maybe unspoken tensions or, or, or maybe some ideas that were surfaced that were, that were killed off maybe too quickly because, you know, we did that two years ago. We don't want to try it again type of thing. Yep. So it's, so I think the big, bigger predictor of success is the, the, the maturity and the respect and of, of the team doing it. And, and with that kind of space, then, then, I've always seen it. People come together and and have clarity and more confidence as a team to proceed, you know, through that experience. Pat Lencioni from the Table Group and the author of the Five Dysfunctions of a Team and the Advantage and numerous other books says that the number one thing, if he can only see one thing that tells him about the quality and the health of an organization, is to watch the executives in their meetings. I've come to believe that that's probably the best indicator as well. So I think we're on the same page there. Chris, I have a commitment I make to my audience, and that is at least at the end of every session, they're going to come away with one good idea that allows them to run a more successful and sustainable business. And I like to ask our guests, if there's only one thing, only one thing that an executive, a CEO, an owner, an an MD would do to run a more successful organization, in your mind, what would that be, that one thing? Reflect, and my own personal journey with that is, you know, as we discussed, I'm, uh, um, you know, involved in many things. What I've been working on is is actually meditation, and so if I would recommend one thing, it'd be, you know, take a time. It doesn't have to be, you know, sitting in a Zen, you know, lotus position or something, but a, a moment in every day before you check your email and get busy to simply pause, reflect, breathe. And what I do is and then really try to get in touch with what my intuition is telling me on what is truly important, you know, for that day. And so what I'm really championing, I'm speaking to myself here mostly, but maybe others, is have that moment of reflection to to connect with what's truly important and then prioritize accordingly. And whenever I do that, the day is always more productive and always more enjoyable and joyful as well. He's Chris Parker, and his company is Ebullient, and he's the author of The Simplicity Scan. If they want to know more, if our audience wants to know more about that, Chris, what's the best way for them to reach you to explore and learn more about uh, anything that you might be able to do for them and and with them? Well, the scan, of course, is available at ebullient.com. You can just download that for free. I'm on LinkedIn. My, my email is chris at ebullient.com, and, and ebullient is just the English word. 
And of course, you can you know watch my podcasts, uh, Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere, because Ed will be on there shortly, and I'm really looking forward to that conversation. So that's another way to uh, to get to know what we're working on. And the irony is not lost upon me that the definition of ebullient, E-B-U-L-L-I-E-N-T, is cheerful and full of energy, yet he has his resting grumpy face. So I, I uh, the irony there is really powerful. Chris, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. I suspect we'll have you on again. And thanks so much for being on the Ed Epley Experience. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 